All right, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter uh, 39. Uh, we are going to kind of wrap up our series on the God of renewal. I love this idea of renewal. It's about God making new again. How many know that if you're over 50, God's at work to make us new again? Come on now. <laughs> How many of you feel like you need it? I need a new hip, Lord. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You know, but, but we, some of us, new knee. Come on, Lord. Um, but, but, you know, we, this idea, we, we recognize this world we're a part of is broken and, and things fall apart. We are driving over to the Dryden campus this morning and there's this, there's this home that, you know, we've drove, driven past for years now and we're like, what a beautiful little building. But it is falling in. It is falling apart and, we're just, and our hearts are sad and it's, it's just the reminder that, you know what, in this world, there is brokenness, and if you just give it enough time, it will just keep breaking down. Yet God in His grace looks at His creation and says, you know what, that's not my desire or my dream for my people. My desire is for a restoration and a renewal. Not lives degraded and broken by sin, but lives that, that express His life and His goodness. And the reality is, is God is working through time to make everything new. And that's what it says in Revelation 21.5, which I love, where God declares, I am making everything new. And I'm so grateful because our lives matter to God, and He cares about us, and He wants to bring restoration and renewal. And so our series, what we've been focusing on, because we find this is a message that, that isn't just at the end of the book. It's a message that starts right at the very beginning. From the moment sin enters in, God says, listen, I am at work to begin to renew and to begin to restore. And when we see Genesis, sometimes we, we see it as a book of beginnings. But it's not just a book of beginnings. It is a book of new beginnings. It contains these wonderful stories of renewal, reversal, and restoration. The recreation of life. In so doing, it begins to reveal the heart of God that, that He desires to intervene in our stories to bring life by renewing our identity, our strength, and our hope. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about the idea of being defined by grace. That God longs to intervene in our stories to, re, to redefine us by His grace. And, and He wants to give us an identity that is rooted in Him. Last week, Rachel did an amazing job sharing on the story of Hagar, which is a story about the renewing of strength. Well, today I want to bring this series to a close by, by having a message or talking about a message entitled Beyond the Moment. Now, how many of you believe that there's some, there's some value to, to understanding the moment that we're a part of? And how do we live in that moment? So how many of you are picture people when it comes to the moment? And how many of you are no pictures? Right? I'll, I'll explain it this way. Have you ever noticed when big things happen in the generation we're a part of now, there's a whole bunch of phones that come out. We've got to record everything. Right? Like if, if the, you know, I was going to say, if the queen is walking by, right, you'd want to get your phone out because she passed away. So, but anyways, <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, my word. Right? You know, I've got to document this. But, you know, if somebody's walking by or you see something, everybody's bringing out their phone and they're getting pictures of it because if you're going to have the moment, you've got to, like, record it. But there's others of us that are just, like, going, I just want to be in the moment. That's what I need. No pictures, no cameras. I just want to be. I, I remember when Samantha was born, um, our, our firstborn, it, it was one of those things where you're not quite sure, you, you know, kind of about childbirth, but then you're like in the room and then childbirth happens. You're like, oh my word. And for me, it was like 
absolutely overwhelming. It was like miracle. It's life. It's all this crazy stuff. And I'm sitting there holding my baby, like a little Samantha, and I got like tears running down my face. I'm like, this is so amazing. My mother-in-law, she was in the room too, and she's a picture person. And I just remember, I'm, I got my baby, and I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. And I look over, and my mother-in-law's got the camera like this. And I'm like, no pictures. <laughs> no pictures, right? You know, Because I, I just didn't want people to see that moment, right? But, but, but it's interesting, how do we understand these moments? And some people are like, I, I, I want to capture it on film. And, and I love pictures, because they are the, these moments frozen in time. Yet, whether we do it with a camera or not, all of us have a part of us that captures moments. The good days, we have those moments where we can stop and reflect, and, 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 and those moments are just like, they're vivid. They're, they're, you know, sometimes we can just see the colors, and, and it's as if we can sense everything. The moments are so real to us. Sometimes we can go through terrible things. And those moments stick with us as well. Have you ever had those terrible moments that you just like, you know what? I can still see it. I, I still remember where, where I was standing. I, I still remember what was going on. I, I, still, I can still feel that, 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 that thing where your stomach goes like drops right out of you. You can see it, sense it. And the reality is that sometimes we get caught in these moments. And these moments, they begin to affect how it is we live. And sometimes they can intrude upon the life that we're a part of. All of a sudden, you know, we're like caught in that moment once again. We get stuck in moments. Well, this morning as we think about this idea of living beyond the moment, I think what I'm going to share, I think it's an amazing story. And really, this is a message for those who find themselves stuck in a moment, who have a hard time at times getting beyond the difficult, the frustrations, and sometimes the hurt. And the big idea that we're going to think around is simply this, that today's struggles don't determine tomorrow's standing. Today's struggles. Because maybe you're here and you're in the midst of struggle. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with some loss. Maybe you're dealing with like missed dreams and hopes and expectations. And, and, and you're just really wrestling with, with how do I get beyond this? And maybe you feel stuck. And maybe you're in the place and you're saying, you know what? Maybe this is just my lot in life. Maybe this is what it's always going to be. I think that was the story of Leah. I think that's what Leah felt. You see, we're going to look at a story in Genesis chapter 29. It involves a woman named Leah who became stuck in an impossible situation. One in which she was unloved. When we look at the story, we'll find out in a moment, she's a woman who became the third wheel because of her father's cunning. She's an unappreciated wife in a difficult relationship. Now, the way the story begins as we come to our text, Jacob, when his father Isaac died, had to run. You see, he had tricked his brother Esau out of the blessing, about, about receiving the, the, the blessing of his dad. And, and he was just like, well, what, what am I supposed to do? And so, you know, he, he's like, 
he tricked them all and Esau said, when dad dies, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to take back what's mine. And so after his father died, the words of Esau echoed in his mind and in his heart. And he said, that's it. I've got to leave. And so it says he ran. And, and as he ran from, as he ran from, you know, the, the, this, this thing that he did and this fear that he had, he, he, he kept running and running and running. He ended up in the place from where his mother was, uh, was from. And he arrived in a place called Haran. And in that place, uh, he had, uh, it was a place of family connections. And while he was there, he arrives at a well. And it is there that he catches a first glance at Rachel. And he is smitten. He sees her. She is beautiful. She is captivating. Okay, as one who is married to a Rachel, I can understand that. You're like, oh my goodness. But he saw this Rachel and he was like, oh my goodness. This is the one for me. That this is my choice. This is who, this is who I want to give my, my love to. This is who I want to share a life with. This is the one for me. Now Rachel is the second daughter of Laban, a wealthy herdsman. And, and, and after a short period of time, he, he begins to make arrangements Jacob begins to make arrangements with Laban in order to marry Rachel. And they come up with an agreement. And the agreement is, if you work for me for seven years, you can have my daughter. And he said, it's worth it. And so he went to work for seven years in return for Rachel's hand in marriage. Now the wedding goes on. And again, they didn't do weddings like we do them. But needless to say, when he awakes the morning after his wedding, instead of rolling over and gazing into the beautiful eyes of Rachel, there lays Leah, Rachel's older sister. Jacob, you can just imagine, like, surprise! Could you just imagine Jacob for that moment? Oh, wait. That's not what I worked for. Like, oh my goodness. This is not what I wanted. This is not who I worked for. He wanted Rachel, not Leah. So he goes to Laban and says, Laban, what did you do? And Laban responds that the way our custom is, I couldn't marry the second daughter before the first. So for another seven years of promised labor... Uh, Jacob, you can have Rachel as your wife. And Jacob said, okay. And it says after about a week, he married Rachel. And the Bible records this, that Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Now, I want you to think about Leah. How would you like to be in her, in her shoes, in her place? I'm sure for Leah that, that as she was growing up, she had these dreams and this, these, these ideas of being a wife someday and then maybe being loved and valued and all these things. And now here she is, 
not loved. In Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, begins a really interesting piece. And we're just going to take a little snapshot of Leah's life. And what you're going to find out is you're going to find out the place that she's inhabiting. You're going to find out that there's some deep things that she's wrestling with and that she's struggling with. And this is how it begins. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Now, I just want to just help you see something here. Because the Hebrew text is actually a little more abrupt than this not loved. The word that is used here actually can be translated as hated. This is the same word. You remember the story of, of Joseph and his coat of many colors? And he was the favored son? And all the brothers looked at him, and, and he had all these dreams and all these aspirations, and it says his brothers hated him. And that's the same word. It's more than just not being wanted. It's like it's, it's this aspect of that there's something repulsive or there's something about you that I don't want near me. Y'all with me on this one? And when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. It says, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben, for she says, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Okay, so I don't know if you know this or not, um, but the, from the point of conception to childbirth is approximately nine months. I, I learned that in biology. Okay. She has a son, and she's saying, okay, maybe the last nine months, a year, whatever it is, has just been misery for her. And she's just like, the Lord's seen my misery. He has seen it. He has seen the frustrations, the broken heart, the broken dreams, be, being treated as something of disgust. And, and you know what's the irony of this? You, you got to imagine, she's just like, what kind of value does she have? Her husband doesn't really love her, but he's fine using her for his own gratification. Is that all I am to you? Just, just imagine what Leah is wrestling with. That when she has a son... She's just simply saying, you know what? God has seen my misery. This has been terrible. And then she says this, surely now, surely my husband will love me now. Like maybe, maybe my husband will see, I've given him a son, I've given him an heir, I have given him something of value. Maybe now he will see my value. Maybe he will love me. And then it goes on to say she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard, I am not loved. 
He gave me this one too. That Reuben didn't change the dynamic. She still remained unloved. So she named him Simeon, which is connected to the idea that God has heard. Child number two, and she's still unloved. Verse 34, again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me. Maybe now he's going to become attached to me. Maybe there's going to be some kind of connection. And you know what it's like to be in marriage without a connection, right? It's a very difficult place to be. And she's the unloved one. Unconnected. Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons and so she named him Levi which is derived from the word to be attached. Can you just imagine what she's experiencing? Like, we're, we're not talking about just a, a rough week or even a rough patch. We're talking years. Unloved, unwanted, unvalued. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. And so she named him Judah. Pretty amazing little passage, isn't it? See, this is why you've got to be careful not to read through this stuff too fast because you, you miss the reality that for Leah, life is not fun, it's not good. Overwhelmed, like you, you could just imagine being in that place year after year after year, thinking maybe this time, maybe this time. Now I want to note three quick ideas from this passage. The first is this, that today's struggles have the power to overwhelm. The idea of being overwhelmed is the picture of being overcome by a wave. Have you ever been out in the water and, and, and you're trying to swim and you're having to deal with winds and waves and you're fighting just to keep your head above water? Not a fun place to live, is it? And, and then the fear rises within you, am I going to make it? You see, Leah was crushed by the circumstances she found herself in, overwhelmed, and sometimes we can be in those places too. We deal with the fear, the stress, the hurt, and, and sometimes it, it feels so real and it feels as though like th this is the stuff that takes life. We just struggle to survive. We feel so overwhelmed. We're just trying to, how do we keep our head above water? I remember when I used to play hockey, like many, many, many moons ago, uh, when you played goalie, there was this, this fun thing. I didn't play goalie often, but if you won, our team would do this wonderful, they had this little ritual at the end of the game, 
If you won, the entire team would skate over as fast as they could toward the goalie, knock him over, and then dogpile on top of him. Nothing says winning like being smothered, right? Now, you may not realize this about me, but I have, I have uh, claustrophobic kind of issues. I don't like being in tight places, and I don't like being covered, right? And uh, I, I just remember as a, as a little kid and a whole team on top of you, and you're just like, come on, get off. I'm going to die, right? And you just start lashing out, and you're just trying to, I just need to get out of this. And sometimes that's how we feel when we're overwhelmed. And it's in those moments we feel that it can seem as though this is it. This is all my life will be. You just imagine for Leah, this is, I'm sure, that this, this realization that comes upon her. She begins to realize, you know what, I am unloved. I will never be looked at with tender eyes. I will always be second place. I'll always be the third wheel. And even for her, providing children doesn't move the needle. And in each of the children's names, you hear, in a sense, the anguish of her heart. And sometimes that's where we inhabit. That's the place we find ourselves. Yet I want you to know that those who are overwhelmed by life and seemingly stuck in a difficult place, I'm convinced that this story teaches us something important. And that is this, is that God is working in our days. Did you know that God was not indifferent to Leah's struggles? And so God begins to act on her behalf. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, she enabled her to conceive. Even though she would never, she felt as though she would never experience the love of her husband, God gave her the gift of the love of children. I, I remember as a pastor when we were in, over in Granville, our, our parsonage, our church and parsonage were just a block or so from the high school. And invariably, um, you know, especially springtime as, as, as kids would pour out of school, we'd have little fights and skirmishes that would happen past the house. It was always kind of fun. And uh, kids would get loud and belligerent, and there'd be yelling, and sometimes there'd be, like, fists flying and stuff like that. It's just kids. And uh, I'd hear it, and I would always go out, right? Because who doesn't like to go out and try and interrupt kids yelling at one another? And, and I remember this, this one time we... I pushed the kids on and the girl who was being picked on and uh, she, she was a feisty one because she was giving it as good as she was getting it. Um, you know, it kind of separated her out and, and I told her, hey, why don't, why don't you come in? Hey, help me understand what's going on. And so we just began to talk with her. She's 15 years old. And um, I, I remember this because we're standing in the living room. Rachel's there and uh, we've got little Samantha running around and Jonathan's just a baby and so Rachel's holding uh, Jonathan, who's just a few months old. And uh, in the midst of all our talk, this young lady says, you know, in a year or so, I'm going to have one of these. And we're like going, what? And so we had this great conversation, but part of it was she was just like, at least my kid will love me. See, God gave Leah a gift of kids that even though there was this aspect of, of not being loved, there were kids who would love her. It, it's, it's so fun to watch little kids 
with their mamas. Sometimes mamas get a little overwhelmed by it. But at least she was loved. And God gave her a grace. And I want you to know God was doing more than just giving her a kid to love. We'll, we'll see in a moment what God was doing. But God began working grace even in the midst of a difficult situation and circumstance. You see, we serve a God who sees our needs and intervenes. It's ultimately the story of the gospel, the story of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, that God saw the, the, the struggles and He saw the deep need that we have. Like, we, we need more than just tweaking in our lives. We need a transformation, a transformation that isn't just external, but something that's internal. And so God sent Jesus in order that He might pay the penalty for every sin, in order that you and I might know restoration. And the coming of Jesus reminds us that we are loved. We all love John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That even when, you know, as Paul would say in Romans chapter, uh, was chapter 5, it says, while we were yet sinners. It says God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, that God loves us even in our messed up, broken state. And he says, I want to intervene because not only do I love you, but I want to give you a future. I want, to, I want to do a work in your life so that you understand that, that even though you may be in this mess right now, this isn't all that there is. There is a future that I have for you. There, there is a hope that I want to release in your life. I always love Jeremiah 29, 11. It, 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 was, it was the prophet Jeremiah who was, who was telling the children of Israel that they'd been gone into exile. They, they were away from their homes. They were uncertain about their future. They were in the midst of all this anguish and turmoil. And the prophet says, listen, I want you to hear what God says to you even in this place. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That even though you may be in a mess right now, this mess is not your final place. I've got something better. And I want you to understand that, that you may be struggling with some situations and circumstances in your life right now, and it seems as though sometimes it's the biggest thing, and maybe you're like going, I'm unloved, I, I, I'm not getting, it's, it's not my hope, not my dream, I'm in this rough place, and it's always going to be like this. I want you to understand, because of the grace of God, he says, listen, I've got a future for you. I have a purpose. You see, God is working grace in our days even when we don't know it and don't see it. Now, what we need to do as we understand this is that we need to trust God's timing. Our trouble is, is we want everything to look different now. And, and we're, we're, we're sometimes more comfortable with running away than growing through places. I want you to know that God is working in and through time to accomplish His purpose. And He is doing it in such a way because He wants to make things beautiful and good. Even creation itself took place through time. So also our recreation, that this restoration, this renewal, takes place through time. 
And just because a story starts a certain way doesn't mean it has to end that way. Now, the story of Leah is really interesting because you'll read about her through the rest of the chapter. You'll find out about all these children. She'll get brought up in a couple other different places. And then, in a sense, there's silence. And there's a part that we can begin to wonder, well, what happened to Leah? Like, is she just the unloved mother in the Bible? Is she, is she, is she the wife that, that, you know, always dealt with, you know, being in this terrible place and just, you know, is that all there is? What's interesting is when you get to Genesis chapter 49, it's right toward the end of the book. And well, what has happened at this point is, is, if you remember the whole Joseph saga where you know, Jacob and his family ends up moving to, to Egypt, well, we find out that before that all happened, Leah actually had passed away. Yet Jacob, while he's in Egypt, has words that he wants to share to Joseph and to his sons. Because he's recognizing that he, his time on the planet is coming to a close. And he's like, guys, I want you to understand that this is not where I want to be buried. And so he gives instructions to his son. And, and, and I want you to listen to this because I think this is amazing. It says this in verse 29 of Genesis 49. Then he gave them these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. Look at verse 31. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebecca were buried, and there I buried Leah. Okay. How many think that Abraham and Sarah, that, that's, that's, that's quite a story there. Like, the, the, these are people of significance. Like, this is the family. Like, this is, this is like, you know, the, the patriarch and the matriarch. This is Abraham and Sarah. And then they have a son. And you remember the son, Isaac. And, and then Isaac, the son of promise, gets married to Rebekah, his wife. And, 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 and so, like, the, the place where the family burial is, the place of honor, is where Jacob buried Leah. Leah is given a place of honor next to Jacob in the family tomb. It was there that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was buried. And Isaac's wife, Rebekah. And Jacob's wife, Leah. It's actually a really interesting story. Because we don't know all that transpired. But the unloved 
wife occupies the honored place in her death. You see, there's something about trusting God through time to make things good. Trusting God through time. We know Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And I'm convinced that we have to learn to give God time to work for good. Time not marked by days, weeks, or months, but by years and decades. See, we need to trust Him. His grace is sufficient for our struggles. As it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, He is making everything beautiful in its time. You know what's the absolute irony about this story? This is, this, is, this is why I say like God's at work in this, and God's doing something that's far bigger than, than Leah understands. Leah's all about, my husband doesn't love me, and God says, well, let me give you a child. Let me give you another one. Let me give you another one. Let me give you another one. Did you know that Rachel was Jacob's choice for wife? But Leah was God's choice for his people. Because Judah is her son. And Judah is from that tribe that David arises as king. It's from the tribe of Judah that the Messiah will come and rescue a broken world. It's Judah that our Savior is identified with as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That God says, listen, I will use your life. You see, today's struggles don't determine tomorrow's standing. And instead of becoming so overwhelmed by the moments we're a part of, we have to say, God, would you help us live beyond the moment? Because it may be like, Leah, you're in this awful place and you're thinking, you know what? I don't know how to get beyond this. I just want to give you a few things that you can do. Number one, I would say, is pour your heart out to Him. God is not indifferent to our struggles. And we need to give Him our worries, our fears, our disappointments, our hurts. We need to say, God, there is this part in me that is so heavy. Here's my burden. Here's the thing that overwhelms. And God, I give it to you. Pour out your hearts to Him. Peter would write to church and say this, Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Cast your cares. Cast your burdens. And, and if we're going to live beyond our moment, what we have to do is we actually have to bring our stuff before Him. But not only that, we have to fix our hearts on His grace. We have to learn to fix our hearts on His grace. See, the question I want to ask you is, in the midst of all your struggles, what are you setting your heart on? Okay, this is what's really interesting. 
about um, the naming of the kids. Reuben comes along, and what is it that Leah says? Surely my husband will love me now. What's her focus on? I just need Jacob. Maybe if I have a son, Jacob will love me. When Simi is born, she says, The Lord has heard that I am unloved. I'm unloved, and, 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 and maybe this son will be the ticket by which Jacob will love me. And then she has Levi. And she says, now my husband will become attached to me. What was she setting her heart on? Jacob. And sometimes, I, and, and listen, sometimes you go through all this hurt, and what's interesting is what are you setting your heart on? I have, I have watched people go through broken relationships thinking if I can just get the right spouse, it will make my life better. And so they find another Jacob. And then Jacob don't do it. So I'll find another Jacob. It doesn't happen just with relationships. It happens with jobs. If I can just get this job, then, then it'll do what I want, or this job, or this job. Maybe it's if I can find the right church, if I find this church, or the next church, or the next church. And we think, if I can just grab these things, I will find the thing my heart longs for. When she has Judah, she just simply said this, this time I will praise the Lord. What I'm going to do in this moment is I'm just going to set my heart on Him. You see, we need to make it less about Jacob and more about Jesus. If we're going to live beyond the moment, we need to pour out our hearts to Him, fix our hearts on His grace. But we also have to do the right thing daily. See, part of doing the right thing daily is learning not to act or live out of our frustration or our emotional juice, but living out from our faith. How many know that sometimes we can get juiced emotionally? Okay, I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, I get cranky. Can I get a witness? Not about me, but about you, please. How many know that, that, that I don't know about you, when I get hungry, I get a little impatient. Come on now. How many are with me on this one? Yeah, I can tell you're getting impatient. You're like, when will church be done? I got to eat. <laughs> Patrick's, he's confessing. Come on, just, just kneel down, Pat. Just, just, just repent and stein. Listen, 
I don't know how often in the midst of our hurt we begin to lash out and we begin to act out, we begin to say things. We begin to do things from our hurt. And all it does is add to the chaos. And I want you to know, sometimes we are justified in saying and doing those things because we have been hurt and they have been wrong. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And part of it is saying, okay, you know what I'm going to choose? I'm going to choose to do the good. I'm going to say the good. Even though things may be awful right now, I'm still choosing to do the good. For us as followers of Jesus, it means that, you know what, even though this may be all chaos and and, and pain and frustration, I'm still going to choose to live by Jesus' teaching. Even when my wanting wants things that Jesus doesn't want for me, I'm going to do the right thing. I want you to know some people are trying to get out of a difficult situation and they think, you know what, it's awful and, and you know what, I just I need to do these things. I, I'm going to say something and I don't mean to be mean, but this is biblically true. God doesn't bless sin. And if you are sinning in the context that you're in and expecting the blessing of God, you'll be disappointed. I'm just saying, the Bible says you reap what you sow. And the thing that I have learned in the midst of terrible situations is stop sowing garbage. Maybe then you'll stop reaping it. All right, last one. You're like, oh my goodness, this is painful. How do you live beyond the moment? Pour out your heart to Him. Fix your hearts on His grace. Do the right thing daily. And lastly, choose to praise. As I said, Leah's fourth child was named Judah. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. So it's from the Hebrew word yada, which at its root means to throw or to cast. Right? So the idea of praise at its root is to throw, to cast. Like we sang earlier about lifting our hands. It's actually a very biblical thing because it's like I'm just casting this stuff. I'm just going to praise you. In the midst of this garbage, I'm just going to praise you. I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to lift. And and listen, when we begin to choose to praise God in the midst of our stuff, watch what God will do with our praise. Again, where did the the Messiah's line come from? It came from Judah. It came from, it flowed from her praise. Listen, when you begin to praise, things begin to change. Change. When you choose to praise God in the midst of an uncomfortable situation, it begins to change you. Not only does it change you, it begins to change the atmosphere around you. 
It's the place to begin the change in the struggle. It's the place we begin to change. You see, today's struggles don't determine tomorrow's standing. You may feel like Leah, but listen, God says, listen, I want to bring you to a place of honor. You think that, you know what, you're, you're forgotten. Listen, God's like, let my grace work in your life because I want to change who you are. I want to bring life. Today's struggles may threaten to overwhelm. But remember, God is at work in our lives to bring grace in our days. And what we need to do is we need to trust in God's timing. Because the God of renewal is renewing us. The God of renewal is renewing us. He is the God of our salvation. The one who rescues us and the one who restores us. He's the one who gives us hope. He's the one who gives us a future. So we can live beyond the moment. Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of our moments, we choose to trust you. Lord, I thank you that you are working in our moments and in our days. Because you are good. And God, I thank you for a love that meets us right where we're at. In the midst of our chaos. In the midst of our hurt. In the midst of our frustration. And God, we need you. Just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many here would, be, would simply say, you know what, I'm, I'm in the midst of some situations and circumstances that are overwhelming. It may be that there are times that you feel unloved like Leah. Maybe you feel forgotten or abandoned. Maybe you feel that the, the junk you're in is just the junk that's got to be because, well, it is what it is. And you would just simply say today, God, I need your grace to meet me here because I need you to make new again in my life, in my situations, in my circumstance. If that's you, would you raise your hand because I want to pray with you. See those hands and those ones? Yes, you can put them down. Anyone else? Father, you see every hand that's been raised. God, you see every hurt, every disappointment, every frustration, every fear. And God, I just pray right now that you would pour out grace upon your people, grace to make new again.
God, we need you. Lord, you are good. And God, we pour our hearts out to you. We lift our praise to you. Because you're the God who changes everything for good. Thank you for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand with me. So this is the moment for you to respond. Maybe there's some unpacking you need to do in God's presence. If you'd like to come up and pray at the altars, you're welcome to. I don't mind praying with you. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I'll stand down here. But this is an opportunity for us to allow God to begin something in us. Because he is good.